Glory be to God forevermore. Amen. Well, I want to share some more on a topic that I shared a while back. <clears throat> I talked about overcoming shame, and I just felt impressed to uh, address that topic a little bit more because I think it's something that we really wrestle with. Um, shame. You know, that the enemy wants to use that against us to keep us down, to keep us from moving forward. He wants us, he wants to bind us in our past so that we can't move forward, so that we, we dwell more on what was than what is. You know, God doesn't care so much about your past. Jesus came to take care of that. What he cares about is your future. You know, the Bible says today is your day of salvation. That means today is a fresh new start for each and every one of us that we can begin to walk in the victory. As you know, last week we were out in Georgia uh, for the wedding and uh, get that the wedding. Right, Donna? Yeah, the wedding. <clears throat> but anyway, afterwards, uh, you know, we flew out of Augusta into Atlanta and then from there to Des Moines. And so Pastor Becky and I were boarding uh, the plane in, in Atlanta and we're, we're walking down the aisle. We're in row 20. And so we're getting back there and as we're getting closer to the back, all of a sudden we hear, Pastor Dave, Pastor Becky, we're thinking, what in the world? We look up, and here's Charles Webster. Charles was one of the first men that we, we met when we began to go to Rockwell City, some to the prison there, I don't know how many years ago, 20, 24 years ago, I don't know how long it is, it's a long time ago. And here he is with his wife on the plane, and our seats were directly behind theirs, and so we, Got a chance to talk with them a little bit and stuff. But the reason I bring that up is Charles was one of those guys that got a hold of the Word of God. In fact, I brought it up on Monday when I was up at the prison in Rockwell City and I mentioned his name and a couple of the guys from Des Moines knew him. But Charles got a hold of the Word of God and he stuck to the word. You know, over the years, we've seen guys come and go. Charles left and he never went back. You know, but he stayed in touch and we know what's happening in his life. But the thing about it is, is Charles had no reservation in standing up in the middle of that aircraft and giving Pastor Becky and I a hug and his wife the same. And and when we deplaned, you know, in Des Moines, it's the same way as we, we, we said goodbye. And there's a reason for that. Charles doesn't have a very pleasant past, but he doesn't carry any shame. 
You can tell at the moment that you look him in the face because he looks you in the eye. Doesn't hang his head. Doesn't look down. Because he knows something. He knows what Jesus did for him. Listen to me. We don't ever have to hang our head. We don't ever have to avoid people. We don't ever have to walk in shame again because of what Jesus has done for you and I. He's the victory. He's the one that took shame upon himself so that, that we might be set free. This is in the Old Testament, but turn with me to Ezra, the ninth chapter. And here, Ezra, you know, he hadn't, you know, they had forsaken God. They had messed up. He was embarrassed. He was ashamed. But notice what it says in Ezra 9.5. At the evening sacrifice, I rose from my fasting and having torn my garments and my robe and fell on my knees and spread out my hands to the Lord my God. And I said, oh my God, I am too ashamed and humbled to lift my face to you, my God. For my iniquities have risen higher than my head, and our guilt has grown up to the heavens. And you know what? I think oftentimes that's where we are. You know, we don't focus on, when we don't dwell on what Jesus has done for us, that's where we are. We'll hang our head, we'll, we'll fall to the ground, we'll throw dust on our head. You know, in the Old Testament, they did all those things. They tore their robes. But they had to have some kind of a physical demonstration of how wicked, wicked and evil they felt. But you know what? Jesus took our shame. And so you and I, we don't have to throw dust on our heads any longer. We don't have to tear our garments. Aren't you glad, men, we don't have to tear our garments? I mean, Yonkers gets enough of, from us without that. But we don't have to be in that shame any longer because of what Jesus has done, what he's accomplished for us. In Isaiah, the 50th chapter, beginning in the sixth verse. This is prophetically speaking of Jesus. I gave my back to those who struck me. Think about this. He gave his back. They might have tied cords around his hands, but he gave them his back. I gave my back to those who struck me and my cheeks to those who plucked out my beard. I did not hide my face from shame and spitting. For the Lord God will help me. Therefore, I will, be, will not be disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like flint and I know 
that I will not be ashamed. Jesus took your shame and my shame. You know, we talk about how Jesus became sin for us. He, he took upon himself sin. He, he, he took upon him our sicknesses, our disease. He, he became poor that we might be rich. He took upon himself poverty. But do we often think about the fact that Jesus became shame for you and I? There's a reason for that. The reason is you can, you can be forgiven of your sin, but if you don't realize that your past is your past, that you no longer have to live there, that you no longer have to dwell there, even though you may intellectually know that your sins are forgiven, that shame will constantly try to come against you and it'll try to torment you. It'll try to keep you from being all that God has called you to be because what shame will do, it'll put you down. It'll say you can't. It'll say you're not worthy. It'll say it's beyond what you're able to do. But you know what? Jesus came and he says, you can do all things through me. We can do all things through Christ because he strengthens us. Not only does he strengthen us, he removes the shame that would keep us from realizing and recognizing that we're an overcomer. The past can't hold you any longer. It doesn't matter what the past was, was 20, 30, 40 years ago, or if the past was yesterday. Jesus took upon himself that shame for you and I. There's three types of shame that we need to recognize, that I want to recognize. The first is those accidental issues. A lot of times things happen. Things happen. And oftentimes because of it, there's this guilt, there's this shame that rises up on the inside of us. The second kind is a result of being a victim. There's things that have happened in individuals' lives that they had absolutely no control over. But yet they still carry that shame in their life. And what that shame does is it brings about guilt. And what that guilt does is it brings about this, this feeling of where was God? Why didn't he do something about it? And so what shame will do, it'll keep you from receiving everything that Jesus has done for you. It'll cause you to have doubts about the effectiveness and the love of God in your life. Shame will do that to you. Even though you're a victim, shame will do that to you. The third kind of shame is, in, is inherent. Again, you have no control over it. You come from the wrong side of the tracks. You, your family has a history. And so as a result of that history, there's shame that rises up in your life. Rather than putting it aside and realizing that you have a whole new family in Christ Jesus. You have a whole new location 
in Christ Jesus. Your home is no longer on this earth. You're just an alien passing through. Your home is in heaven, a heavenly kingdom. It's not in the sweet by and by, it begins in the here and now. You're a resident of heaven right now. That's why the laws of destruction and death and poverty and sickness and disease don't apply to you any longer. Because those principles don't work in the kingdom that you're a part of. And so those laws can't be enforced in your life because there's a greater law that's in operation in your life. It's the law of the kingdom. It's the law of love. It's the laws of God. As long as we recognize that, we can walk in the victory. But shame will get you to dwell upon the physical rather than looking to the spiritual and realizing what Jesus has truly done for each and every one of us. You know, we have the account in the Bible of the woman that came in and she, she washed Jesus' feet. And she was a adulteress and so forth. She couldn't look Jesus in the face. She, she, it says that she, in one account, that she washed his feet from behind because she didn't feel worthy enough to even come in front of him. But she knelt down in front of him and with the tears that came from her eyes, she washed his feet and, and with her hair, she dried his feet. What was going on there? Shame. She didn't feel worthy. But you know what? Jesus didn't belittle her. Jesus didn't put her down. Jesus lifted her up. And that's what Jesus wants to do to each and every one of us. He wants to lift us up. It's not about your past. It's about what Jesus has done, what Jesus has accomplished for you in your life. Jesus talked about another woman in, in John the fourth chapter. Here's a woman that was filled with shame. And he met her at the well was a, <clears throat> the Samaritan woman. And so let's turn over there and look at that. I'm going to read several verses here, but I want you to, I want you to hear this account because it's, it's so typical of what we're talking about. And so in the fourth chapter, it says, but he, he needed to go through Samaria. And so he came to the city of Samaria, which is in uh, Sychar, near a plot of land, a, a ground, that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, therefore, being weary from his journey, sat thus by the well, and was about the sixth hour. And a woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. And his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman, a Samaritan, said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask to drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. They wouldn't even, they wouldn't even talk to them. Had nothing to do with them. But Jesus spoke to her. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God, and who it was who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And the woman said to him, Sir, 
you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get the living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? And Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks this water will thirst again. He's talking about natural water and natural thirst. Whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never thirst, but the water that I shall give him will become to him a fountain of water bringing up, springing up into everlasting life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. And so she's still thinking in, in natural context, in a natural sense. She's saying, Lord, Jesus, give me some of this water. Then I don't have to make this trip out here to the well to get water all the time. And we'll see why there's even more significance to that in just a moment. And the woman answered and said, or excuse me, Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered and said, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you, you, you have well said, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband in that you spoke, tru in that you spoke truly. And the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is a place where one ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will never, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship. For salvation is of the Jews, but the hour is coming and now is when the true worshiper will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship Him, will worship Him in spirit and truth. Now this is what I want you to see about this woman. <clears throat> Why did the woman come out to draw water at the sixth hour. If you notice, there wasn't anybody else there. There weren't any others from the village that had come out at that time to draw water. Only she had. Why? Because of shame? Because she had five husbands? The one that she was living with now wasn't even her husband? And so, you can just imagine how she was the talk of the town. How everybody talked about her, how, how shame would come upon her, how when she walked down the street, everybody had looked down their pointy, holy noses at her because she's a divorcee and she's living with somebody now. The shame that she must have endured, and that's why even when she came to Jesus, she thought that she was going to be rejected the moment that he spoke out, that, she, that he knew that she had had five husbands. And the one she was with now wasn't even, a, wasn't even her husband. 
And so she avoided people. You know what shame will do? It'll cause you to avoid people. Well, they think they're better than me. No, you think you're less than them. That's the issue. Yes, there's those that think they're pretty hot stuff. But the issue isn't what they think. The issue is what you think. You avoid them. You go around the block. You go down a different aisle because you don't want to approach them. You don't want to have to face them. And the reason that you don't want to have to face them is because of shame. They know you. They know your past. They know what's happened in your life. But see, Jesus, he didn't turn her away. The words that he spoke to her, he wasn't even belittling her. He was just simply speaking truth. You know what the truth is? We've got to realize I've got a past. But I put that past behind me. And now through Jesus, I have a new life today. And this new life today continues on tomorrow. And I don't have to hang my head. I don't have to avoid anybody because of what Jesus has done in my life. Because you know what? Jesus has not, and Jesus will never turn his back on me. Jesus will never bring shame into your life. That's the work of the enemy. That's the work of the devil. I'm sad to say, many times, Christians are simply tools of the devil to bring shame into somebody's life, to bring guilt, to, bring, to make them feel less of themselves. Jesus has never come to cause you to think less of yourself. He's come so that you might think more of yourself because you're in Jesus and he's in you. Now I want you to notice something here. This encounter with Jesus Twenty, verse 24, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. And the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. She's saying, I'm in my shame now. But there's a day that's coming that Messiah will come and Messiah will reveal all things. There's hope when Messiah comes. People still looking, waiting, hoping for Messiah and Messiah has already come. When he comes, He'll tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. 
You know what's ironic about it? She believed it. In that encounter with Jesus at the well, she believed him. And at this point, the disciples came and they marveled that he talked with a woman. Yet no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking to her? They marveled. You know what? The world ought to marvel at the people that we're willing to talk to because they need the opportunity to receive Jesus. But instead, because of our shame, because don't miss, don't confuse it, it's shame. It isn't pride that keeps you from sharing with somebody. It's shame. Because you don't think you're worthy. You don't think you're good enough. You think, how could Jesus use me? Well, let me tell you something. When you get the revelation of how Jesus has set you free and what Jesus has done for you, you can't wait to tell somebody. For the first time in who knows how many years, this woman has been received by somebody, not looked down by everybody around her or by some guy to come along and use her. Somebody loved her received her for who she was. And the woman left her water pot. All once the physical water seems to be pretty insignificant when you get a drink from the living water. And went her way into the city and said to the men, those that have despised her, those that have used her. And she said to the men, come and see the man who told me all things that he ever did. Could this be the Christ? See, she didn't have to hide her past from them because they all knew it. Because they had all been talking about it. The moment the shame was gone, what did she do? She went to the very individuals who heaped the shame upon her to bring them the message of hope. Because she was able to see something. Why did, why, why did we use one another? We use one another because of the guilt and the shame that we have in our own lives. We think we're shaming them. No, what we're doing is we're shaming self because we feel so belittled of our own. And so this woman who went out to get water expecting that nobody would be there so she wouldn't have to face anybody and feel the shame of their glares, encountered Jesus, and Jesus revealed himself to her, which set her free from the shame and the guilt that she had experienced, and she went back to town, and she became the witness. She shared Jesus, and they came out to hear about Jesus for themselves. And later on in the account, when Jesus leaves, they say, we don't believe about him because of what you said, but because of what we know for ourselves. 
Our shame will keep people from Jesus. Because we'll feel unworthy, we, we won't share with them what we know to be truth. Jesus came to set us free. Jesus came to make us whole. The enemy will try to use our past to shame us. That's what's happened here. Shame from being a victim can stem, <clears throat> stem from humiliation or rejection. But you know what? Jesus' blood has set us free from humiliation. It set us free from rejection. Why? Because he receives us with open arms. Inherent shame tells us we're different from others. Well, we're just different because of, again, where we grew up, whatever it may be. We're one in Christ Jesus. We can let go of that shame and we don't have to go back there any longer because of what Jesus has done for each and every one of us in our lives. In Psalms 139, and in verse 14, it says, I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Amen. What a struggle it is for so many to say that. Because they don't feel like they're fearfully and wonderfully made. They don't like how they look. You know, they're ashamed of this, that, or the other thing. But see, you need to mark this passage. See, I, I believe you can have what you say. And where it says, calling those things that be not as though they be, it has more to do about your thought life than it has to do with what you see in the physical. Amen. And so we need, to, we need to start thinking, we need to start seeing ourselves as God sees us. This isn't, this isn't talking about the physical. This is talking about what's on the inside of you. And it'll carry out into the physical. I, <clears throat> uh, I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My fame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest part of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. And in your book, they are all written. The days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. How precious also, whew, I don't know if you can handle this. This is so good. How precious are your thoughts to me, oh God. Think about this. 
God thinks about you. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. When I awake, I'm still with you. His thoughts for you and me are more, more than the sands. See, the enemy wants to take that shame and he wants to tie it to you and hold you back. This morning as I was listening to Joel Osteen, he was, he was talking about how, um, you know, of course, Joel always talks about hope. Aren't you glad we have hope? But he is he, using this example and he says, you know, what the enemy wants to do, you know, hope needs to be the anchor of our soul. But what the enemy wants to do is he wants everything else to be the anchor. He is talking about how he went fishing with this, this buddy of his and they dropped in the anchor and they're getting ready to go and they were supposed to pull up the anchor and he said, I couldn't, I couldn't get it to budge. And so the other guy came over and he tried to pull it up and they couldn't pull it up. And, and so the guy tried to pull it with a boat, started the motor and the boat was just going to go down. It was, it was caught. And, and, and eventually he said, the, guy, the kid's father that he was with, he took out his knife and he cut it off and they, they, they left the anchor in the sea. You got some anchors in your life. You need to cut the rope. Or as Dr. Coloy said, you need to lop it off. Stop messing with it. Those things that are holding you back, those things that are causing shame in your life, those things from your past that just seem won't, that, that they won't let go of you, lop it off, cut it off. Have nothing to do with it any longer. It has no right to you because of what Jesus has done in your life. Malachi 7.19, it says, I will again have compassion on, he will again have compassion on us and will subdue our iniquities. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. They're cast into the depths of the sea. They're to have no hold on us any longer. Made bad decisions in your past? Cut it off. Don't allow it to hold you back any longer. Because when we dwell on that, we'll lose sight of the promises that have been made to you and I through the Lord Jesus Christ. What's dominating your thought life? Is it the fruit of shame? Or is it the fruit of the Word of God? What dominates your life? Because what dominates our life is what ultimately will control the direction of our life. We'll follow that. In Hebrews 8, 12 it says, For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their, their sins and their lawless deeds. I will remember 
no more. He says, our sins and our lawless deeds, he will remember no more. So why do we remind him? Why do we keep bringing it up? Let me tell you something. It's not God bringing it up because he's cast it into the sea. But what happens? The thought comes in. It rises up. It begins to dominate our life. We're reminded of our failings, our shortcomings, and shame once again gets control of our life. It's time to discard it. It's time to get rid of it. It's time to say, Lord, I have confidence in what you've done for me. Philippians 3.13, Paul said, Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reach towards those things which are ahead. Stop holding on to that which is behind. Start reaching forward for that which is ahead. That's how faith works. Faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith is reaching out to receive what Jesus has already accomplished, provided for each and every one of us. Stop allowing the past to hold you back. Shame tries to prevent us from doing God's will. Tries to prevent us from being the overcomer that we've been created to be. We're going to look at a couple of passages, but it says, it says despise it. You know what? Many of us, we despise ourselves. That's what shame will do to you. But it says we're to despise the shame. Have nothing to do with the shame. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, do you have anybody in Christ here today? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new, if I say new, yeah. new creation, old things, the stuff behind you, old things have passed away, all things have become new. Why? Because of Jesus. Because of what he's done for each and every one of us. We, we, need to, we need to begin to grasp that. We need to begin to take a hold of that. We need to begin to declare that in Jesus' name. Hebrews 12, 2, it says, looking unto Jesus, stop looking to yourself. Stop looking to your shame. Stop dwelling on your past. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, despising the shame. In other words, don't give it any time. 
It tries to rise up. It tries to come back. Don't give it any time. How do I do that? Declare who Christ Jesus is. Declare what he's accomplished in your life. Speak what he has to say about you. Not what the world, the devil, and the flesh has to say about you. Declare what Jesus has to say about you. Romans 10, 11, it says, For the scripture says, Whoever believes on him, speaking of Jesus, whoever will believe in him will not be put to shame. Will not be put to shame. Because you believe in Jesus, you will not be put to shame. You know, we have another account in the Bible. We have the account of the prodigal son who messed up big time. You know, he wanted his inheritance. He said, Father, give me my inheritance. And he wasn't of that age where he is to receive his inheritance. His dad was still living. He's basically saying, Dad, I can't wait for you to die. Give me my inheritance now. It says he took his inheritance, his father gave it to him. He took it, squandered it, wasted the whole thing. Spent it all on loose living. His brother said it was harlotry. It doesn't, we don't know that for sure, but probably. It wasn't wholesome living. We know that. Wasted it all. But let's, let's look at that account for just a minute. In Luke, the 15th chapter, we're going to begin in the 11th verse. It says, and he, he said, a certain man had two sons. So Jesus is sharing this. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided them his livelihood. And not many days after, the young son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, where he wasted his possessions with prodigal living. Wasted living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. And when he had joined himself to a citizen of the country, he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, but no one gave him anything. And so here he is. Horrible past, treated his father terrible, received his inheritance, wasted the whole thing. But you know what the shame did? Couldn't go back to his father and say, I made a mistake. Here he is in the pig pen. You know what, for too long, Christians have wandered around in the pig pen now, no offense, I got nothing against pigs. They taste wonderful <laughs> once they're cooked. But we got to understand the time, the, the time, this Jewish boy taking care of pigs, that's not exactly your goal in life. 
And so the shame held him there. He could have gone back to his father at any time and said, Dad, I messed up. But shame kept him from doing that. And so he continued in that state of not having enough. Oftentimes our shame, it keeps us from turning to God. Keeps us from turning to the one that can truly help us in life. I call it the Adam syndrome. God told Adam, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil for the day that you eat thereof, you're gonna die. Adam may have ate of the tree. God shows up. What does Adam do? He hid in the bush. What do we do? We mess up. We hide from God. The very one that can set us free, the very one we ought to run to, what do we do? We hide in the bush. We may not find a physical bush, but what we do is we don't pray. We don't take out our Bible and read. We don't acknowledge, Lord, I need you and I thank you that I'm still your son, your daughter, your child. We hide from him. And oftentimes what we do is we hide in public. We go do something that we know we not, ought not to be, but it's because we're too ashamed to turn to God. So we're just like this prodigal, hiding from his father, hiding from where he really ought to be turning. What's the root of it? The root of it is shame. But you need to realize Jesus took your shame. And it's not a license to sin. It's not a license to screw up. But it's a license to be able to go to God and say, I did mess up. But I thank you that I'm still your son. I'm still your child. That you still love me. And I thank you that you forgive me. Forgive me, Father. And you know what he does? Because he's paid the price through his blood that you might live the victorious life dwelling in his presence. But when he... <clears throat> But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare? In other words, they have more than enough. And I perish with hunger. I will arise, I will go to my father, I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against you, against heaven, and before you, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Why would he do that? Shame. Because he didn't feel worthy. It's hanging his head. When you come into the presence of God, don't ever hang your head. Jesus paid a mighty price so that you might hold your head high. Jesus paid a mighty price so that you might come into your Father's presence with boldness and confidence to receive help in your time of need. Notice the terminology of that. It's not talking about 
when you've been so spiritual and everything is just totally hunky-dory in your life. It says you're to be able to approach him, come into his presence with boldness in your time of need to receive help. Don't ever feel like you've got to hang your head before God. If you messed up, acknowledge it and move on. Don't sit there. Gets cold under those bushes this time of the year. Move on into his presence. I don't know if you can tell, but I feel really strongly about this. And the reason I feel so really strongly about this is we as the church of Jesus Christ have a job to finish. Amen. And I don't know if you've noticed or not, this world is really screwed up. But there's only one answer for it. It's Jesus. Changing some politicians might help, but that's not the answer. Jesus is the answer. And if you and I, if we don't have the boldness, if we don't have the confidence in God, how are we going to be effective at bringing others into the kingdom? Because if there's going to be change wrought, it's going to be through Christ Jesus. It's not going to be any other way. Our discussion will not change this world. Amen. But Jesus will. Good preaching, Pastor. Well, thank you. Hallelujah. Amen. And he arose and he came to his father. And when he is still a great way off, a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. The impression here is that his father had been looking for him. Your father, God, is looking for you. This father is a type of father God. And he didn't give him a chance to fall down in front of him says that the father fell on his neck, hugged him and kissed him. This son of mine that was dead, he's alive. Listen to me. God is never offended when you come and approach him. God is never upset with you because you've messed up and you have enough boldness to come to him. He's never upset with that. In fact, he's waiting. He's waiting for us to say, Father, I need you. I can't make it without you. Whew. But when he came to himself, I guess I backed up again. And he arose and he came to his father. And when it was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion. Father has compassion in us and compassion 
always commands action. We see throughout the Gospels how Jesus felt compassion upon the multitudes. That compassion isn't a feeling. It's more than a feeling. It demands an action. And Jesus always acted. His Father acts. And the Son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your Son. But the Father said to the servant, Bring out the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand, and sandals on his feet, and bring the fatted calf, and kill it, and let us eat and be married. For this son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he's found. Let's be merry. This son of mine that was lost has been found. Heaven rejoices. Heaven rejoices when we don't allow shame to disconnect, to separate us from the love of God. Heaven rejoices. They have a party when we come to the Father at our time of need. Reject shame. Banish shame. Give it no place in your life because Jesus took it for you and me. Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For this is the power of God and the salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Gentile. I'm not ashamed. You were ashamed? No more. Let that be your confession. I'm not ashamed. Well, why aren't you ashamed? Because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because of the grace of the gospel of Christ that has set me free from my past, from anything that would hold me back, from anything that would try to bring defeat and hopelessness in my life. It's because of Jesus. Hallelujah. Now I don't know what to do. Banish shame. If you walked into this room this morning feeling guilt, feeling shame in any way, shape, or form, lop it off right now. Just leave it behind you. Don't take it home with you anymore. When you're walking down the street or you're walking through a store or, you, or, or whatever you're doing, and that shame tries to rise up and say, you're not worthy. You just smile and say, oh, yes, I am. You know, it comes in many forms. 
many forms. You know, I used to go to the ministerial meetings and feel so intimidated. And I thought it was because of their degrees and that they thought so much of themselves. But I realized they're not the problem. I was the problem. It was my shame. It was my guilt. It was my, it was my feeling less of myself. But you know what? I go into those meetings unashamed because of what Christ has done for me. I don't care what it is in life that you've struggled with, where shame has held you back. No more. No more. You go into those same places, you face those same people, and you do it unashamed because of what Jesus has done for you. It isn't about you. Get over yourself. It's Jesus. Well, I done preached myself happy so I guess we can go home. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Let's stand up on our feet. Let's declare who we are in Christ Jesus. In your own words, just begin to speak it out and just let the world, the devil, and your own flesh know that you're not going to buy into it any longer. You're a new creation in Christ Jesus. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. You are an overcomer. This is the victory that overcomes the world. Even your faith in the completed works of Jesus. It isn't about you. It's about Jesus and the grace that he poured out for each and every one of us so that we might live and move and have our being in a victorious Christ. And so, Father, we thank you that this is the victory that overcomes the world. Our faith. And faith hasn't come through our efforts. Faith comes as we hear and as we receive your word. And, Father, we're receivers. We are receivers. And so faith has come today. And faith rises up. And faith rises above shame. And shame has to flee. Yeah, I heard somebody say, we're full of it. We're not full of shame. We're shameless in Jesus' name. And so as you live your life, as you walk this week through this community, walk shameless, knowing what Christ has done for you. And because of what you know, share with those that you come in contact with. So as you go, go in his peace, his strength, his love. Go free of shame in Jesus' name and declare the victory to one and all. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, in Jesus' name, amen. amen. God bless you. Okay, um, just a second. We're going to pray for Come on up here. Alex's dad is in Puerto Rico, and they, they haven't been able to.
make contact with him yet. And so we're just going to believe for his protection in Jesus' name. And so, Father, I just agree with my brother. Father, I pray for peace, peace that surpasses human understanding for Alec and his, Alex and his family. But then, Father, we pray for his father. Father, we don't know where he's at. You do. And so, Father, we just pray that you would open a means by which he can communicate so that those on the outside can know that he is safe. Father, we pray for him and, 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 and those precious folk in Puerto Rico and that surrounding area. We pray that their needs will be met. Father, uh, it, it looks as though all is lacking, but Father, you can supply where there appears to be no supply. And so we pray for that. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Hallelujah. God bless you. Be at peace. In Jesus' name.